Son, and Holy Spirit. All that we have and all that we need is you alone. We can have all things. We can possess this world, but without you, we have nothing, and it counts for nothing. But we can have you and suffer the loss of all things, and yet have everything and all that we need. We thank you for your all-sufficient grace, and we pray, Lord, that your grace would be here in this place and through your people out into a hurting world. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So as Pastor Tweedy said prior to his prayer, this morning we have a little bit of a different service than what maybe we had planned originally. The leaders within the EPC, that's the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the denomination we are a part of, and we're very proud to be EPC, and I'm incredibly grateful to be a Presbyterian. Uh, the, the national leadership team put out an email to all the churches across the country calling on the churches to address the social unrest that's uh, evident in our culture, and we're happy to come alongside other churches around the country that are doing that this morning. And as we were thinking, and I was uh, discerning how, how best to do that, you know, maybe you give a sermon and you try to adjust it that way, and that, that can work, but decided to take a different route, partly to be a model of perhaps one way for us as a church and us as a people to be able to move forward, and that is to create space for conversation and to be a model within the church of what it means to have conversation uh, with those that have a set of experiences and uh, an outlook very different than our own. And so uh, this morning, just very excited to be able to do that and to do that together, right? We're, we're, all of us today are going to have a conversation around what's happening in the country and to have that conversation this morning with a very good friend of mine, I know a good friend of yours too, and that is uh, Gus Samaniego. So we will welcome Gus up to the stage with me. Uh, I know you know Gus, but I don't know if everybody uh, at home or wherever you are this morning knows Gus Octavio Samaniego, who is our church planter uh, in Flint and has been on staff with us uh, here for know, about, how long have you been on staff now, six months or so? Uh, just about, yes. About six months. six months. So he and his family have uh, moved up to Flint and they've been living there for about three months now. Yes. So... You can move in the middle of a pandemic, right? That's always a good time to move. I don't recommend it, but yes, you can try. <laughs> <laughs> but he and his wife, Cheryl, have been living here in Michigan for about eight years, and his wife, Cheryl, is a professor at Kettering up there in Flint. So uh, Gus and his wife and his family have been doing ministry, although they've been living there for three months. They've been doing um, ministry in Flint for many, many, many years. <laughs> so, but, but not everyone here knows you or maybe knows your story. Why don't you just take a few moments to say a little bit about you and your background and uh sure yes um so again my name uh you can call me Gus it's Octavio but uh, I was born and raised in Mexico came to the U.S. about the age of 14 uh was a resident uh at the age of 21 I became a citizen and as I was in engineering the Lord uh, saved me and then he called me out of the engineering field into ministry went to seminary 
uh, moved here to Michigan, and the Lord kept uh, doing a work in my, in my wife's heart. And we've always been, ever since I moved to the United States, amongst um, minority communities or uh, people of African-American or uh, Latino descent. So that's been my context. And my heart has always been towards those inner city contexts. And that's why we're now in, in Flint. Uh, that's where God gave us a heart towards. Mm. If I remember right, when you came over from Juarez into the United States, you lived in El Paso. Yes. And, and a predominantly African-American community, right? Yeah, believe it or not, it's predominantly uh, Latino. And then there's a pocket because of uh, uh, Army Station, Fort Bliss, that was predominantly African-American. That's, that's where I grew up. That's, uh, that was my whole childhood experience. Mm. Now, all of us here and everyone uh, who's watching this morning over the past number of weeks either saw ourselves personally mm. or heard about and experienced that way uh, the video of the death of George Floyd. Yes. And as we watched that or heard about that or experienced that, however we did, all of us here or anyone at home experienced that in a particular way um, given our own lenses that we're seeing that through. Why don't you share with us, how did you experience seeing that? Yeah, um, I couldn't get through the whole video because it was so piercing to see the life of a man made in the image of God being taken. And I think when he got to the point where he was crying out, Mama, that's where I just couldn't watch anymore. Because at that moment, in my culture, when you cry out to your mom, that is the, that is the highest point of vulnerability. That is where you are saying your highest cry, hear me out, and I know the only one that would is my mom. So to me, that was just heart-wrenching. And I know it, that didn't please God. Um, and there's a sense of, uh, as a person of color, there's a sense of identification with him in which you feel, how many times have I raised my voice, but no one has listened. And then there's this sense of anger at the same time. So yeah, a lot of things to process through as, as you feel this identification, this rejection, this sense of um, why isn't this voice being heard, mm. as best I can put it. Was, it. was part of that identification that George Floyd is crying out for help? There's people around. I mean, there was a crowd. There's other yes. officers present, but no one was responding. So there's a cry for help but nobody was stepping forward. Is that, is that part of the identification? Yes, I think whether, whether there is a legitimate need for that cry response or it, it just respond, you know, just, just hear them out before you can judge if, if it's a legitimate cry or not. And, and I think that's been the sentiment for a long time. Uh, people of color, of, of color crying out and they're not being heard or dismissed without even being heard first. Hmm. Now, living in Flint, and you've been there for three months, mm -hmm. um, I know that the, the, that community, very different than the community here, uh, Livingston County or Brighton. So even as you described how you experienced that uh, video personally, how would you say that community in Flint is receiving or responding? Best way I can put it is they've had enough. They say this is enough. Um, we... We've been feeling this for many years, but now it's on camera and everybody has to deal with it in a way or another. And so they're saying we've had enough, we, we need to find a new way to move forward in which we can find uh, spaces to talk about this, address this. 
Um, there's, there's anger, there's unrest, but there's people that are just wanting to, to see change. Mm. Now, even as you and Cheryl, uh, you know, Carrie and I at our house, we talked about it, we talked about it with our kids. Yeah. Now, but you and Cheryl, even up there, you guys are talking about what do we do if someone starts throwing rocks in our houses, right? Mm. So it's a very different kind of conversation there too, right? Yeah, you know, um, there's great things about living in Flint. There's some pretty bad things about living in Flint. Um, you know, as you see this unrest, I think you're always just relying on the Lord in all things. But then I was just so proud of Flint and the police department and the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Swanson, how he demonstrated a peace-like character. He was a, a maker of peace. When they asked him, what, what, what do you need of us? They said, walk with us. And he walked with them. And he turned something that could have went bad really fast into something that now is an example, not only to the kingdom of God, but to the whole country and how to deal with this unrest. Um, he listened, and then he walked with them to understand their experience. And I think that spoke greatly to the people of Flint. And so I'm just thankful for, for cops, and I'm thankful for those who are speaking up for, for injustice. It, it, it's a both end. Mm. Um, and let me just say that rioting is not pleasing to the Lord either. So, It's funny to hear you say that because for a lot of people, as, as we're hearing people um, uh, talk and describe news or other things like that, it's presented as what you might call a binary issue. Yeah. It's presented where like, okay, I need to make a decision on, by, I'll say pick a side. Yeah. I need to pick a side where I'm choosing to you know, stand with uh, minorities, we might call that uh, racial justice, some other word that fits better. I, I'm going to choose on that side, or I'm going to choose another side, uh, maybe police officers, law and order. And it's presented like I have to make a choice here. But what you're saying is, I'm, I, what I'm hearing you say, I'm, I'm identifying with the pain of, of a community that's been experiencing hardship for a long time, but you're also praising the police force, and you're saying, I'm really proud of yes. Sheriff Swanson and his, so help us understand that maybe this isn't the binary issue that it's presented as. Uh, yes, I mean, once you pick a side on either side, you're, you're, in, you're in dangerous ground because you're standing with men, but I want to stand with Christ, and as you stand with Christ, hmm. um, we want to lift him up, and as you stand with Christ, you want to see what Christ says about these issues. And so as you stand with Christ, you begin to see his heart for both sides. And, he, and you look for what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And, and you let that inform how you navigate both of those binary things that the world outside is, is trying to divide us into. We should model in the church that we stand with Christ. And therefore, we can reach out to both sides and speak to where truth is and speak to where sin is. Mm. So you're saying there's antagonisms that mark the world. They don't need to mark the church. Yes. Yeah. He's taken down that dividing wall. Yeah. So is, uh, we're all here together. We, we, we want to be able to see what's happening uh, the best that we can through the lens of Christ. As you're, as you're saying, well, I want to stand with Christ. And one way of saying, you know, through the lens of the gospel. Yes. How would you say that the gospel should inform us as we're trying to process and understand what's happening around us? You know, the gospel is complex and yet simple. But if, if I was to rely on the shoulders of the reformers, I would look to what 
they articulate it as the components of the gospel, which is the five solas, or the five alones. And that is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, on scripture alone, and for his glory alone. If you take those components of the gospel to be your lens through which you understand these issues, then you are in firm ground because that is the ground of the gospel. And let me say this very clearly, the answer to racism or any racial reconciliation, I believe to be the gospel and Christ's exaltation above anything. And as we start on that, then we have a firm foundation. But again, the gospel also demands that we care about injustice. Because in the cross, we saw a God who was paying the justice for sinners' punishment. But we also saw his love as he died for us. So we must walk on that. And if, if I may say something, is, as we look to Christ alone, to, to my brothers of color, it, it is only in Christ that you can really find your affirmation of who you are as an, as an identity matter. It is him who affirms your value and and your ultimate meaning above anything else, not everybody else's opinion. For my brothers of, uh, not of color, I would say Christ modeled for us a heart that goes towards the hurting and has compassion on the afflicted. Mm-hmm. The same way by grace alone, as we move to, to uh, navigate the sin and confront sin from either side, we have to do it with grace, open-handed to say, uh, God has forgiven us, therefore we have a heart of forgiveness and a heart to move forward and listen and to reconciliate. And as we look at faith alone, that informs us of our hope. Our hope is not on any system or any man-made uh, law, even though those are necessary. Those are secondary. First and foremost, what gives us hope is the death and the resurrection of Christ that brings about a new world, a vision of a, every tongue, tribe, and nation as it was prayed, as you have articulated. But the reality is we don't have to wait until that happens, because in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to operate that and pray that, God, your will be done on, heaven, on earth as it is on heaven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as he has torn that division, he gave us the Holy Spirit, but he didn't push us onto each other. He has given us the opportunity to move towards each other. And then lastly, Scripture should, should inform us. His word is the ultimate source of authority and truth. Everything else should be seen in the light of that. And I'll say this to my colored brothers, brothers of color, and to my colored brothers. What is your ultimate pursuit and purpose as you engage in this? Is it your own glory and your own affirmation as a person of a certain ethnicity? Or is it the glory of God through Jesus Christ, who in him is reconciling all things to himself. If we seek his glory, there will be healing, and there will be reconciliation. But if we seek our glory, we have gone the wrong way. That's what I would say. Sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have a calling to be a preacher. I, uh... <laughs> One thing that's a phrase that you use as you were describing how do we see what's happening through the lens of the gospel was the phrase racial reconciliation. And, and I'm, I, that's something I've heard a lot of people say, talk about, uh, I've been reading about myself. If, if we were to better understand what that means, help us understand and articulate, what does it mean? What is racial reconciliation? 
Wow, that's, a, that's quite a question. Um, but if I had to say something, it would be this. God did not call us to coexist, especially in his church. He called us to love one another. It is easy to say, you exist there, I exist here. We tolerate each other. But what God says, no, I want you to love one another. Like, I have mm. loved my son. In that way, love one another. And love means action sometimes. And love means uncomfortableness. And love means sacrifice. But it is worth it. And so I would say, what does it look like? It looks when the church begins to... How can we expect the country to change when the church is not modeling that change? As Pastor Tweedy said, it starts in the heart, then it moves to his family, then to the church, and then to the world. As we show them that this is how they know we are one in Christ, that we're his disciples, because we love one another. And that takes work on all sides, all ethnicities, because we're just one in Christ. So we move together. Mm. Now, as we're listening to and hearing this, and um, there can be a sense of helplessness. Like, okay, I'm, even if I'm hearing about the affliction or mistreatment on, on or both sides or each side, and I feel like I want to do something, I want to help, I want to, but I don't know what to do. I, 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 I feel helpless. So for, for us in Christ, we want to be a part of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven and participate in this reconciliation. What, what are some things that we can be doing to participate in that? I would just point to the basics of sanctification as to with any sin. Begin to listen to the other side. Just be willing to be slow to speak, slow, uh, quick, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Just listen to other stories. You know, my experience is different than yours. Just be willing to listen to it. Like, I can share with you how relieved I was when my son was born because he looked lighter than me and more like my wife. Why did I have to struggle with that? I'm still working that out in my own life and with the Lord. But that is a reality of some people, some of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So just listen. Or why did my mom feel like she had to call my wife and say, would you love our grandson if he's a little bit darker than you? Of course my wife was, yes. But that's a struggle that some of us uh, have. Is it legitimate? Is it not? Leave that between them and the Lord and you just listen. Listen and engage. Mourn with those who mourn. Enter into, into their experience. Understand their suffering and begin to see that there is something there that God, in that space, that's where God works. So I would say just listen and then secondly, pray. Pray. Just come before the Lord and say, Lord, Give me wisdom. Show me my own heart. Show me where I, let me praise you where you have demonstrated your character in my life and, and help me to move forward. But then I would say, be careful, because when you pray, God often says, go. <laughs> and so be ready for that, whatever that means in your context. Listen, pray, and just be willing to be obedient to what God may call you to do. That's, that would be my simple answer to mm-hmm. that question. I think sometimes, it, I love that answer, it is simple, um, but oftentimes it's the simple things, um, sometimes we just complicate things way too much. We make it something way more complicated. Sometimes it's just the simple listen and pray and create that space, just as you said, create that space for the Holy Spirit to work 
that you can hear another person's experience, non-judgmentally listen, yes. and then pray for God to discern how you can move forward as we stand together for racial reconciliation. Right? We stand for that. We want to stand firmly. That's what First, Second Corinthians 5 says. We are given a ministry, he says. It's called specifically a ministry of reconciliation yeah. as we partner in the Holy Spirit in that. And I just want to say the Cornerstone has been a church where I feel at home, I feel loved, I feel valued, I feel affirmed as a brother and sister, and my wife and sister in the Lord. So I just want to say thank you, church, and that I love you, even though if I don't know some of you, just because of how welcome I feel here. And uh, I would say you're looking for a church that displays the love of Christ in the leadership and all the way down to everybody here. I would just say come to Cornerstone and Brighton and you will find the love of Christ here. So I just wanted to say that from my heart. I want you to know you are love, man. Love you. You have a place at this table, the table of Christ. And so as we uh, close, we want to be able to give some concrete steps. How how can we participate in this together as a, a body at Cornerstone? So one, as Pastor Tweedy mentioned, the denomination is calling on churches across the country to enter into a period of fasting tomorrow. And fasting is where we deny something. Usually it's in the form of food, but it can take other forms. That's right, it's not a, a legalistic thing. It's really about a heart posture to say, okay, I'm gonna say no to something because I'm gonna use that uh, so the Holy Spirit can tune my heart to pray in a specific way. And so we're uh, calling on, on the, the church and the EPC across the country to fast tomorrow to pray for the social unrest in our nation and that the church would be a part of that reconciliation that the Holy Spirit desires. And then the next day on Tuesday, we'll have an opportunity to gather together. We'll do this outside. It's going to be a beautiful day to enter into a time of prayer and praise, to together call out upon the Lord as a body but also to praise the Lord. We were made to worship and the opportunity to do that on Tuesday night at seven o'clock. So we hope that uh, the Lord might stir within you a desire for those at home as well, a, a desire for those two things, you know, to, to fast and to pray and, and if the Lord would allow uh, or to discern for you to join us together on Tuesday night uh, to pray to the Lord on behalf of our nation and also just to praise him for who he is. So again, God, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having this conversation. And thank, thank you. you for sharing. I know some of the things you were sharing aren't easy to share. No. So I say thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus, who is right now at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, we thank you that all things are being placed under his feet. And even now, his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is bringing new life to this broken world. And we thank you that you are constituting, Heavenly Father, a family. A family that your word says in Revelation 7 verse 9 is from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And that we will gather together in praise of you. We won't be segregated, we will be one. And we pray that now, here on earth as it will be in heaven, we would be reconciling with our brothers and sisters that the church on earth would begin and in greater measure become a picture of that future reality. 
And Lord, we pray for us that you would create opportunities for us to listen, that we would be reaching out to our brothers and sisters who are hurting to just listen, be slow to speak, and that, Lord, you would enable us through that to pray. And we thank you that you work all things together for good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.